In the name of Jesus, amen. People think happiness and joy are the same thing. They're not. Happiness is conditional. Joy is not. Happiness is rooted in what's happening. Joy is not. I generally agree with Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. Although Pastor Anderson turned that down for the sermon hymn this morning, I have no idea why. But the truth is, the Bible never promises happiness. Said in kind of a roughshod way, you could even say God doesn't care about your happiness. But he does care deeply about your joy. It's, it's easy to be happy when you have freedom from persecution, no context for suffering, independence from having to scrounge around for a few bucks for lunch, when all your relationships are going good and you ace your midterms. But have trouble with any one of these, and what happens? What's flunking a midterm do to your happiness? Poof. It's gone. Especially when you've got to tell your parents or your grandpa who helped pay some of the tuition for the semester. Joy is something completely different from happiness. Joy doesn't depend on circumstance. Its focus is on something else, something greater than circumstance. As I thought about the theme of finding joy in persecution, which if you've seen the images and you have of Christians being tortured and killed for the same faith that we confess, if you've read some of the accounts that come out of North Korea recently, it'll make you cry. It's nearly unfathomable when you think about it, finding joy in persecution, and all the bad stuff for that matter. As I thought about that, I thought of two chapters in Isaiah that sit side by side, chapters 34 and 35. And although 34 isn't about persecution, it's actually about something far worse. It's about justice. Justice we've earned by our injustice toward one another. It's about getting what you really deserve, which, by the way, is something you really don't want. The bad end of karma, if there were such a thing. It's about the judgment of the Almighty God on a rebellious, belligerent people, a pugnacious you, a revolting me. It's about God leveling both barrels of his sawed-off justice, fair and fully warranted at you and me because of who we really are down beneath our phony smiles and our paraded piety, who we really are, broken people, turn-in-on-ourselves people, selfish you and selfish me, who live as if God does not matter and as if I matter most, which, by the way, is the way I'm naturally geared, and you too, I guess. I know we don't like to think of God as a judge. We like to think of him as a benevolent, grandfatherly type who looks the other way at our foolish rebellion, but we have no right not to think of him in these terms, for he's revealed himself very clearly as the never-deceived, righteous judge of heaven and earth, of you and of me. We don't have time to read chapter 34 out loud, but if we did, you'd get the idea from its harsh words that it's not a pretty sight, this 
judgment. The chapter is populated with words like sword, blood, destruction, slaughter, vengeance, thorns, and on and on it goes. It describes a desolate place, the place of God's wrath, outrage brought about by wickedness, not of God, but of humanity. Think we're basically good people? Watch the news and you see otherwise. And it's not just them out there. Look into the mirror of who God wants us to be toward him and toward our neighbor as well, and you see otherwise. Now, chapter 34 is a miserable place. Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be the haunt of jackals and the abode for ostriches. There's no joy in chapter 34. But in chapter 35, there's, there's a great transformation. It's like the exact opposite. The wilderness becomes glad. The desert blooms with flowers that just shouldn't be there. Places like Lebanon and Carmel see the majesty and glory of God. Weak hands are strengthened and feeble knees made firm. And as you look, you see a land that is refreshed and a people full of joy. Joyful, but not necessarily happy. God moved Isaiah to write chapter 35 not because he wanted to produce happiness in those who heard it, because in the immediate context, happiness just would not do. For enemies were laying siege to Jerusalem. How could you be happy about that? But what gave Judah hope, what gave Judah joy, was to know in their heart of hearts that even though in the midst of the harshest of times, God was speaking a word of redemption to them. God told them, and he tells you, that he has not turned his back on them, and that he has and is and will save them. And you too. The joy that God promises in chapter 35 of Isaiah finds its ultimate meaning in Jesus, that God will save you, and in Christ Jesus, already has. Joy is the fruit of redemption. Joy is the fruit of hope found on the highway, who is Jesus. By God's grace, we have been spared our ultimate fate, and because of the person and work of our Jesus, Whatever our circumstance, God has and is and will save you. Knowing that changes things. Because of the gospel, our blind eyes have been given sight to see our God at work even in the bleakest of circumstances. Our deaf ears are unplugged to hear the greatness of God's salvation in the gospel. And like the tongue of the mute, we can sing for joy and proclaim the gospel to the world. For we know that our salvation isn't rooted in the condition of our circumstances. Our salvation isn't found in ourselves. It's found in a loving and merciful God. For he is the one who does the outside of you saving work. 
to save you. He's the only one who can save you from death. That's the promise God gives. Not that he'll fix things. Not that he'll make you happy. But the one who is called Emmanuel really is God with you and for you. Because of him you are forgiven. And because of his forgiveness you can never go astray. And you will come to that place and that time of his rest with everlasting joy, and all your sorrow and sighing will one day flee away. So through all the stuff that you go through in your life, the the big stuff and the little, if you know that the death and resurrection of Jesus for your salvation is really for you, and it is, and you know, no matter what, that you are safe in his hands because he's promised, in spite of what you're going through, whether you're happy or not, and that because he's died and risen for you, then in Christ, regardless of persecution, regardless of things going from bad to worse, regardless of your situation, in the end, you know, everything's going to be okay. Okay, because the end really isn't the end. Not for you. Not for anyone who trusts Jesus for their salvation then even in the midst of the worst of things, even in the face of persecution and death, you can still have joy. Not necessarily happiness, but certainly joy. You can still have joy because you have Christ. And even more important than that, Christ has you. He promised you that in the waters of your baptism. And because he has you, you are safe, safe, hid with Christ in God, no matter what. In the name of Jesus, amen.